0: Oh well, Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Uh, I am grateful to hear from you every day. Uh, as I open up my Bible and read whether it's uh, a paragraph or chapters or a psalm or some proverbs. Uh, I'm just grateful to hear from you from your word. Thank you for communicating it to us, preserving it for us and then through your spirit, the way you take it and Put it into our brains and sink it into our hearts and use it to change us. Um, Thank you for doing that. I pray you'd continue to do that. Praying for the best Easter we've ever had here at Christ Chapel. Uh, We're praying for not just a record number of people, but we're praying for uh, the largest number of of unbelievers who trust Jesus uh, this Easter than we've ever had before. And so that's your work, and we're asking you to do that, please. Uh, Make a fantastic Easter, uh, not only for us, but all around the world, for your people. We love you and we thank you and pray for your presence with us tonight. You are welcome. Please come. Please join us. uh, Please teach us. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Yeah, good. Uh, You know, it's funny. I I hope you got to hear Ted's message today. If you didn't. Get a DVD or a CD, and I thought, um, how coincidental! uh, What he talked about a little bit, little tiny bit, and what I'm going to talk about—it's—it's been my privilege. Okay, I'm lost. Okay, (laughs) it's been my privilege, probably, uh, to have attended more memorials. Um, and, and do more memorials than, than you, and that's a wonderful privilege. Um, and it's one of those things that after you do a bunch and you attend a bunch, there are certain things you think, I would never want to see this on my tombstone. Right? Certain, certain things. So the one thing I never would want to see on my tombstone is this. He got bored with his faith. Would you want that written on your tombstone? You suspect there's a follow-up question, don't you? Have you ever been bored with your faith? Are you bored right now? Have things become a little too routine lately? Has some of the color and vibrancy of your walk been lost over the years? Interesting, as I read these 10 chapters, it seems Moses never got bored. Things never got routine for him. Why? How? How did he keep that from happening? If you'd even, you'd die, no one do it. But if you even say, "Ooh, I've been a little bored before," or "I'm a little bored right now," there are going to be five reasons that come up in these ten chapters to keep you or to keep me from getting bored with your faith. And it kind of boils down to one word. And that word is discipleship. Not necessarily for you, but Moses had people coming along behind him. Do you have people coming along behind you? Are you bringing people along? It's what kept Moses from getting bored, it's what kept Moses from everything becoming routine. Was he had people coming up behind him. So I want to take a look at that tonight with you. I want to show you that in these 10 chapters, give you five things, and then commission you tonight to consider, if you never have before, to begin praying for someone to disciple. Come on. Sure is quiet in here. Hmm, I don't know quite how to take that. Numbers, the book of obedience. I think you've seen over these first 25 chapters, and you'll see it again in 26 to 36, obedience has been the key word for the book of Numbers. Remember, we've been talking, God is taking his people out of Egypt. Remember in Genesis, Exodus, he made a promise to them, I've got an inheritance reserved for you. I'm going to take you out of Egypt. Under Joshua, they began to possess that inheritance. This is the place that we're going to experience God's best. But in between is the book of Numbers. It's where they were tested. And it's where the first generation, the second generation is warned because the first generation did not obey and therefore wasted their lives and wandered the wilderness And so Moses, God through Moses, is reminding us, warning us, hey, don't let this happen to you. And so Moses is moving the children of Israel from Egypt. He moved them to Kadesh Barnea. Things didn't go so well there. They wander the desert. Forty years later, they come back, and we're picking up the story in chapter 26, where we're with the second generation, and we see the second census The first census was of the first generation. The second census is the second generation. I know, that's clever, isn't it? First census, first generation. Second census, second generation. And so Moses begins teaching the second generation about moving in and claiming their inheritance. Pursue it, possess it, take it. God's given it to you. He wants you to have it. Step into it. Come on. Your parents didn't want it. So here we go. So he's teaching the second generation this. Three big parts of the book of Numbers that we've covered. The first generation was ordered by the covenant, and Moses was trying to prepare them for victory and to live on mission. The first generation was tested, they failed, and they endured God's discipline, and they wound up wandering the desert. And the second generation comes on the scene, and they're preparing to settle in Canaan. Moses exhorts them to victory and to live on mission, just like their parents. Moses is such an exemplary guy uh, in so many different ways. Uh, I, I love studying Moses And that's where I go back and I said, this is not on Moses' tombstone. Although I know he doesn't have a tombstone. I got it. Moses never got bored with his faith. He just never got bored. Because of what he's leaving behind. He's leaving behind men and women, the second generation, who could be counted on to pursue God's purpose in their generation. He was leaving behind men and women who were aware of and eager to possess their inheritance. He left behind Joshua, a leader who'd follow in his footsteps. He left behind men and women who'd approach each day as a new day for fellowship and for worship. And he was leaving behind men and women who'd make wise choices. Moses lived his life with great purpose, and intentionality all the way to the end. He never got to a place where he said, I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that, I'm too the other thing. He never got to that place. He never got bored with his faith. He stayed in the game all the way to the end. And this is what he left behind him. Question for you tonight, the question for me, Who's following you? Who's following you? Who is your second generation? If you were the first generation, who's the second generation? Who's following you? Somebody says, well, Bill, if I went to seminary, I'd have people following me. Yeah, funny, I don't think Moses went to seminary. I don't know, maybe I just misread that. <laughs> I don't see that he went to seminary. <laughs> uh, you know, he wasn't the son of a pastor, <laughs> right? What was Moses? He was an ordinary person, and God used him for extraordinary things. But he just built into the second generation. He tried to build into the first generation, he built into the second generation and exhorted them Built them up so that they were ready to cross the Jordan and possess their inheritance. Who's following you? Five things Moses did to lead. Five things Moses did so that others would follow him. First, because some of you are saying, well, I might be able to find some of them, but I don't know what I would do with them. Get your highlighter i giving you five things for you to work on. First, Moses prepared the soldiers. All the new fighting age men are counted. And we're reminded there's no neutrality in God's mission. There's no neglecting God's will. You either obey it or you ignore it. Those are your only two choices. You don't get to be neutral and say, I'll see how it plays out for me. You have to either obey it or ignore it. He reminds the people that God's mission and expectations are take Canaan. The mission and objectives haven't changed from the second generation to the first generation. There's territory to gain and an enemy to fight. So Moses says, take your place and serve. Be counted on for battle. God's will is still the same for the second generation. I need to be able to count on you, and we're going in to take what God has promised us. He prepared the soldiers. Remember, he counted them in chapter 26. And I know what you did, but uh, there's a lot of interesting things in here. Yes, you're laughing. I know you. I know you. Did you notice there's not very much difference between the second generation and the first when you look at the totals? Isn't that amazing? God repopulated basically what they had. If full strength was what they came out of Egypt, they were right there, ready to do it again. Levi, of course, didn't get any land. Uh, What did Levi get? Levi got God. That was their inheritance. So the tribes are counted and numbered in chapter 26. Moses is preparing the soldiers for the fight. As you look behind you, are there younger soldiers following you who can be counted on to advance God's purpose in their generation. If you had someone would they be someone who could be counted on to advance God's purpose in their generation? Second, the daughters of Zalaphad did you love that? And Joshua is chosen to lead. So he points in 26 and 27, he's pointing them toward their inheritance. And it goes on even later when they're getting land allocated to them. That each tribe would receive an inheritance based on its size, except for the Levites. The Levites' inheritance was God and 48 cities scattered throughout the promised land. A family's inheritance wouldn't be jeopardized if they didn't have sons to receive it, which was, other than this, absolutely unheard of and unknown in the ancient Near East at this time. For a woman to receive property as an equal was unknown, unheard of in the ancient Near East, except from our God in Israel. God rewards faith and desire for his word, and that's what those daughters had. They had faith and desire for God to keep his word, and they wanted their inheritance. And God says, I'm pretty pleased with that. They get it. He pointed all of those people to their inheritance. Here's a a nice colored map of where the different tribes received their inheritance, Judah received the most. Why? Because they had the largest, um, the largest number. Simeon was within the boundaries of Judah because Judah's was so large. We've got the two and a half tribes on the east. We've got the rest of the ones on the west. We'll see a very horrible thing in the book of uh, Judges. Dan decides they don't want this anymore, and they go up here. You ever wonder why that's called Dan? because they go marching up there, because they don't like this. Oh, sorry, more lessons, (laughs) but that'll come along in the book of Judges. I don't want what God has to give me. I'm going to go find my own stuff. Not ever really a good idea. That'll come up in the book of Judges. Dan is going to leave home and go look for something that he thinks he deserved that he didn't get. So there's different tribal allotments given to the different tribes depending on the lot and the size of their tribe. So question, as you look behind you, are there younger men and women who are following you who are aware of and eager to possess their spiritual inheritance? What's the first thing you have to teach these people following you? That they have an inheritance. God has a plan for them. He has a plan for this generation, and we are calling them to be men and women who can be counted on to take that. What's the second thing we're going to teach them? Wait, stop. How, because how many disciples you got somebody who's following you? What's the first thing they want to know? Where are you leading me? Where are we going? Well, we're going to follow God's will. Okay, good. I like that. Where's that? <laughs> we're headed in this direction. What's the second thing? It's in your notes. Don't look far, just look down. What's the second thing? What was thing number two? Thing number one, right, was be counted on. What was number two. Sorry, is this too interactive for you? <laughs> Watch. Here we go. I'm going to back up. What's number two? He's pointing them to their inheritance. How many of these disciples who are following you know that they have an inheritance from God? How many of you sometimes, if you're new to this class, you went, I did not know I had, I mean, I thought I, I inherited heaven and Christ, but other than that, I didn't know what I had. How many don't know what they have in Christ? I'll say a lot. You've got men and women, hopefully, who are following you. You're saying, this is the direction we're going, and this is your inheritance. This is what God has promised to you. Remember Ephesians 1, 3? We've talked about that before, right? Wow. Maybe we need, like, some energy drinks or some coffee or, right? What has he given us? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is ours, Ephesians 1, 3, right? It's already on account there. Remember, we've talked about that before. Write a check on it. It's good. He'll cash it. Be eager to to possess. What does he have for you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He's got a lot of stuff for you. Who who knows this? You got to tell them what their inheritance is. Three. Moses appointed new leadership, Joshua. His sin kept him from entering the promised land. He undoubtedly, and there's places in these last 10 chapters where he seems to be sharing leadership with Joshua to ensure a smooth transition. Why? Because Moses knew that the mission is always more important than the messenger. Always more important than the messenger. Do you know what? I, I, I'm privileged to talk on leadership every once in a while. Do you know what the most forgotten aspect of leadership is? Succession. You're not leading if you don't know who your successor is and you've not prepared them to take your place. Because the mission, the church, is more important than any of the people in it. The mission of the church has to keep moving forward. You're not leading until you've identified and trained your successor. Then you're leading. Moses knew that. The mission is always more important than the messenger. As you look behind you, are there younger men and women following you who are able to lead in your absence? Able to lead. In your absence. So, as you're training up these people coming behind you, you're telling them, uh, we got to be able to count on you. This is your inheritance. I need you to walk with me and lead with me. Number four, here are the things I need you to promote as Moses promoted with the second generation they promoted worship and fellowship you said this was kind of a left turn in 28 start talking about the daily offerings and the sabbath offerings and the monthly offerings and the offerings for passover and why are we going back over all of these offerings what are the offerings about worship and fellowship with god They're not just stuck in there by way of, hey, don't forget to do all those things. They had to do all those things. That was how they worshiped and fellowshiped with God. But that's the principle. One of the things you're teaching these people coming along behind you is you're promoting worship and fellowship with them. All of these were um, means, vehicles for them to worship and fellowship But Moses is really promoting a lifestyle of worship and fellowship with God. That's what he's promoting. He's not just promoting go through the routine of the sacrifices. He's promoting worship and fellowship with God. Remember, these sacrifices were costly. The priesthood was necessary to accomplish God's work in the world. And all of life, if you were an Israelite, all of life revolved around worshiping God and pursuing fellowship with him. Of course, you know this, but for the Christian, the offerings typified and have been fully and completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We don't have to do those offerings for worship and fellowship. They have been completed in Christ, and we get to uh, rejoice in their fulfillment. But Moses is promoting worship and fellowship. As you look behind you, are there younger men and women following you who see each day as a new day to worship God and fellowship with him? Do they see each new day as a new day to worship God and fellowship with him? Who has to learn that lesson first? Oh, right, the leader. (laughs) We all need to be reminded of this one. Every day is a new day to worship God and fellowship with him. As that becomes more and more part of who we are, that will become more and more a part of those who are following along behind us. Then he spends quite a few chapters. Chapter 30, Laws Concerning Vows... And then they go um, vanquish the Midianites. Uh, Then they start dividing the land up in 32. 33 is a wonderful travel itinerary. 34, we get some boundaries of the land. 35, we're, we're down to towns. And 36, we go back to the women who are inheriting their property, inheriting God's promise to them. And so, in all of these things, Moses is requiring wise commitments from these men and women who are following along behind them. He's reminding them that all relationships bring responsibilities and that open communication is critical. He wants people to be conscious and conscientious when they give their word because all relationships bring responsibilities. And if you don't talk to someone, not good. So make wise commitments with respect to relationships. Make wise commitments with respect to authority. And he used that, the head of the household has the final say. So remember if a person living under their father's roof made a vow and the father heard it and didn't say, I nullify that, then it stood Right? If the father goes, well, I'll get to it tomorrow. Nope, too late. you got to take care of it right then and there. Keep short accounts. Keep short accounts with people. Then he talked about with respect to commitments. And he said he expected people to keep their vows. Asking them, are you a man or a woman of your word? And only make commitments you intend to keep. So Moses is these young people who are coming up behind him. He's requiring them to make, teaching them to make wise commitments with respect to their relationships, authority, just commitments in general, with respect to their purity because they're going to need to make holy war against their enemies. They're going to need to follow God's word completely, allow no compromise with sin makers. Who are the sin makers in this story? The Midianites. Remember the Midianites who back in 25 tricked Israel into idolatry and all those nasty things. That was the Midianites. God said, I want you to go wipe them out. Holy war against your enemies. Allow no compromise with sin makers. Show those enemies no mercy. The generals, or at least the military commanders, remember to thank God in a special way following the victory. And being reminded that trusting God means fully obeying God. If I say I trust him, then I should obey him. You know, when we talk about this holy war against their enemies, uh, we're going to talk about this a lot more in the coming weeks. Um, but I think last, was it last week? I think last week I started reading to you from that horrible book, Respectable Sins. Have you bought your copy yet? If you haven't, you should. Jerry Bridges, Respectable Sins. I think one of the ones we talked about last week was, um, as I recall, discontentment. And last week at least, that may have changed to this week, but last week at least I, I got some guttural things from some of you, like, Ugh. When I said, are you content or are you discontent? (laughs) (laughs) Let's just assume, for the sake of argument, discontent is an enemy, is a Midianite. What am I to do with discontent? Wipe it out. I am not to live next door to it and say, hello, discontent. So good to see you this morning. put up a little white picket fence between our homes. So good to have you living next door to me discontent. I hate it when you get up so early in the morning, though, and you start yelling ways I'm discontent at me. It's so hard for me to concentrate during my day. But you know what? You just stay there. You stay in your house, and I'll stay in mine. What does God say? Wipe it out. Take it out. Now, you can't do it, but he can. But he says, you go after that neighbor (laughs) and you get rid of it. That's what he was telling him to do in the promised land. Go root out the enemies that are in there and take care of them. And to do that, you're going to have to be men and women of purity, which he talks about in other chapters, as well as here, and allow no compromise with sin makers. You cannot compromise with the Canaanites who are living in the Promised Land. It doesn't work. What do they do if they're allowed to stay in the land? They take you down. And remember what Paul says. You go well. That's Old Testament. Ah, got gotcha. you. Got you covered. What does Paul say in the New Testament? Bad company corrupts good morals. Some of us need to rethink the friends we have. We do missionary friendship. Guess what's happening? They're dragging us down. I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to them or shouldn't be friends with them. Well, You are standing on a slippery slope. I have a story, but I don't want to tell it, so we're not going to tell it. Okay, I'll tell it. <laughs> well, I can't remember what I've told you before. There was a, a, a young woman at the rocket factory. I'm sure I've told you this one before, and she had her, her heart got ahead of her head. She was a, a young Christian. She, she fell in love with a guy, and she wanted to marry him, right? I've told you this story. Yeah, no? Okay. She, so she falls in love with them, and she came and asked me and, and one other Christian guy, probably because we were so old. She came up and said, you know, what do you think? And I said, is he a, a believer? And she said, uh, well, no, but I'm really hopeful. And I said, ah, gosh, huh, the Bible says, the bill doesn't say, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. So if you're a believer... Don't get yoked to an unbeliever. She said, what are you saying that I should do? And I said, I think if you want to follow the Bible, you're going to have to decide to break it off. So a couple weeks go by. I'm sure she was praying a lot. And she came in one day and she said, I broke it off. Hardest thing I've ever had to do in my whole entire life. I broke it off. like, oh, my gosh, I'm so proud of you and way to go. That honors God and, you know, he's going to provide for you. And it wasn't more than a month. And can you believe it? This guy had a miraculous conversion. (laughs) They were married within another couple of months. And after about six months, huh? he says to her one day, you know, Fine with me if you want to go to church. I really don't want to go anymore. And so um, I'm not. I'm not going to church anymore. Not even sure where I'm at with this whole Jesus thing. But if it's good for you, you just pursue it. Love you, honey. Glad we're married. This was not good. (laughs) Uh, These things on wise commitments with respect to relationships, authority, commitments, purity, no compromise with sin makers, showing those enemies no mercy. Trusting God means fully obeying God. And you say, well, she got deceived. You know, if she would have let it ride for six months, I'm pretty sure. He would have have tipped his hand. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure you give it enough time, he's gonna play a card. It's rugged, it's rugged. This is real life stuff. And he says, I want you to make wise commitments. And a lot of times that's gonna require no compromise. And obeying me when that's the last thing you feel like doing. It's going to include trusting God's path. Right? Chapter 33. What was God's path? Look at this. (laughs) There's a lot of different little places they went to and camped for periods of time. But that was God's will for their life. He took them to places that probably if you would have asked them at the time, they would have said, you know, we don't know why we're here and we frankly don't want to be here. That didn't matter. These stops were God's will for their life. Those circumstances change. He was always faithful. The hardships arise. He is faithful. Though leadership changes, He is faithful. Though we are many times unfaithful to Him, He is still faithful to us. And remember, the walk of faith seldom goes around difficulties. Instead, it most often goes through them. Their path led them through enemies, through deserts, through hunger, through thirst, through all these kinds of things and they were smack dab in the middle of God's will. As you look behind you, are there younger men and women following you who've been taught about making all manner of wise commitments, keeping their word, pursuing holiness, trusting God's path though I don't understand where it's leading me and why? What do I not want to do? Stop short. Don't stop short. Are you claiming your inheritance in the promised land, or are you stopping short? Some believers are like the first generation. They waste their lives wandering the desert as a result of unbelief, disobedience, and faithlessness. Some believers are like the ten spies. They look the land over but never enter it. Some believers are like the two and a half tribes who live on the border of the promised land. And some believers are like the rest who claim it, enter it, battle for it, and enjoy its blessings. What is your inheritance? Every believer has a, a, an inheritance of a general nature. First, Romans 8, 29, this is what God has planned for you. Do you remember this from Romans 8? Let's read it. Let's see, where is that, 29, so I want to start with uh, verse 20, you know, verse 28 is probably one you have memorized, right, 828, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right, you probably have that memorized before I go on, do you believe it? Do you believe this verse? God will use all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things, even bad things? All things, good things? All things, I don't know things? All things, all things I talk with a lot of Christians and they go, gosh, I don't know whether to turn to the left or to the right in this situation. And they see that the will of God is this razor blade for their life. And they're afraid, they they want to honor God and love God and so they don't want to step off the razor blade. It's not a razor blade. It's the Grand Canyon. You can move to the left or to the right. What can't you do? Climb the walls. Don't climb the walls. (laughs) Climbing the walls is bad. bad. You want to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or whatever? You want to do any of that? Is, are any of those wrong? No, of course not. You've got a wide path here. And what else do you have? Romans 8, 28. God will use all things together. For What if I somehow take a left when I was supposed to take a right? Wait a minute. Is that what that verse says? That's what that verse says. He will use all things together for good. How? I don't know. That's why he's God. (laughs) I can make mistakes. I can do stupid things. I can do unbiblical things. I don't want anyone to do those things. But what things do I do that God will use for good? All of those things. How? I don't know. But that's what he says. Let's go on. Verse 29, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Do you understand the package deal that Paul has just described to you? He chose you before the foundations of the world. When he chose you, he says, all I want for you is to become like my son. I want you to become like my son. I've given you right standing with myself. Having given me, having, having given me right standing, he says, and I've already given you my glory. Now, I don't have it yet, but in God's mind, it's a done deal. There's a package that comes with your salvation. Your eventual glorification with the Lord is as done and certain as you and I are sitting here right now. It's not in question. It's already been accounted for in heaven. When we get there and he says, here, I've got some things for you. We're going to go, are you kidding me? Bill, this is just what I told you I was going to do. I'm just fulfilling what I promised you. He promises us this right here. That's why when Ted was talking about this morning that if you're outside of Christ, you have reason to fear death. If you're in Christ, I don't know what the doorway looks like, so that's a little scary. I'm not scared of what's on the other side. What's on the other side is amazing. Not because of what I get, but because of who I get to be with who's given all this stuff to me. God chose me to become like Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, he's given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Which spiritual blessings? Every. Did he hold some back? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is already on account in the vault with my name as a cosigner on the account. Do I know that? Do I want that? If I want that, how do I get that? First I have to ask. What is God like? What does he reward? Faith. Desire for his word. Desire for his promises to come true. He's given me the fruit of his spirit. It doesn't say the fruit of Bill. (laughs) It says the fruit of the spirit. Not the fruit of Bill, the fruit of the spirit. The spirit of God lives in me. Whose fruit is it? I'll guarantee you it's not mine. It's the Holy Spirit's fruit. In faith, I have to say, Holy Spirit... I don't really love that person right there, but you do. And so would you love that person through me like you can do? Because I don't love them, but I know you do, and I am willing to be used. Will you love them through me? And let him do that. You understand what I'm saying? No. We'll keep working on it, okay? Everybody gets a general inheritance. Guess what? God has also picked a specific inheritance for you, custom designed for you. You are his masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. He created us in advance for us to do good works which he or good works which he'd prepared in advance for us to do or in advance for us to walk in them like in the promised land. I'm supposed to walk in my unique inheritance. I think I've said this to you before. Psalm 139. This is a pretty Bible literate group. Psalm 139. Remember David's, uh, he knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 139. What choices was I given in my mother's womb for how I was born? Zero. Zero. My second birth, I trust Christ, I am born again. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Spirit of God decides who gets what spiritual gift. What vote did I get in my second birth? None. But God gave me at least one spiritual gift. Why? Because I'm his masterpiece and he has something for me to do. What do I have to do? Get on a discovery journey. (laughs) and try to figure out who God's made me to be and what he's asked me to do. And it'll be in that place that I find the maximum fulfillment and fruitfulness for him. Everybody who went to seminary thought they should be the preacher. I'm not down on those guys and gals. I mean, whatever. I'm I'm not God. But I'm pretty sure there's not enough churches for you all to be that guy. Some of you aren't going to be that guy, but some of you have to be that guy because of something going on inside you. You understand what I'm saying now? What do they need to do? They need to be who God made them to be, and they need to get after that thing 110% because that's where they're going to find fruitfulness and fulfillment. Not in, I got to be this because, because, because. I hope that makes sense to you. I don't want you looking for I've got to be this or I've got to do that for God. What has he made you to be and do? Then go do that. We're a permission giving church. You're going to come to me and say, I think I should. Okay, woohoo! what do you need from me? <laughs> go get them. Turn you loose with God. These people who are following you, they need to be encouraged. Go do it. Go do it. Find out if God's down there. We run experiments around here like crazy. Maybe God's down that road. We don't know. We're not God. We just run down that road. We go, nope, he's not down here. (laughs) But look at this over here. He's down here. (laughs) So we run over this way. Yeah, it's amazing. Do you know your shape, spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, experiences? I think this class now is called Call to Action. It used to be called Shape, but now it's Shape. But we're emphasizing the fact that you need to go and do something with this. So Shape... If you'd like to do that, send me an email. I think that goes to Lance Cashin. Lance is my local outreach guy, and part of local outreach is you and me inside the walls of the church. So I think it's called call to action. Send me an email. I'll put you in touch with Lance. You need to go through your shape. It's all online these days, and so you can do that. But those people who are you're bringing along behind you, guess what you need to do with them? Shape. Because they've never heard this before. They think my job is to pay the 10 bucks every Sunday so that Cody and Bill and Ted and all these guys can do the work of the ministry. Wrong. What's my job? Ephesians chapter 4, to equip the lay people to do the work of the ministry. It's not to do it. It's to equip you to do it. But if you don't even know you're supposed to do it, we got a big problem. So all these men and women who are following along behind you, you learn your shape and you help them learn their shape. It's just one of the things you do, possess your inheritance. Are you living it out? Where do you sense he's calling you to serve? General inheritance and specific inheritance. Are you leaving behind you men and women who can be counted on to pursue God's purpose in their generation? Men and women who are aware of and eager to possess their spiritual inheritance. Leaders who will follow in your footsteps. Men and women who will approach each day as a new day for worship and fellowship. And men and women who will make wise commitments with their mouths, their bodies, and their paths. Do you think if you had someone tomorrow, you would know How to get started. Nod your head like this. I could get started. Very good. You can begin tomorrow. Pray for someone. Same gender. to disciple. Time. Make it a priority in your schedule. Truth. Use the word of God. Transparency. Share your life with them transformation. God will bring about life change in his way and on his timetable as you just do life together. Don't stop short. Possess your inheritance. For those of you who said, in your spirit, I would never want to have he got bored with his faith written on my tombstone, And right now, in the honesty of your own spirit, and the covers are right up here and all the lights are out tonight, and you say to yourself, I've grown a little bored, things are a little stale, things are a little routine. Do you know why? You need someone to lead and someone to follow. And you invest your life in them one or them, plural, and I'll only guarantee you one thing. You won't be bored. You will be put to work in the same way God used Moses for 40 years, and the legacy Moses left behind is unreal. Even if your legacy is only one person. Way to go. Who is following you five things to begin working with them as you begin walking with them. For next week, we're not meeting. Two weeks, read Deuteronomy. Just a few chapters, four short sermons by Moses. You'll do it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for Reminding us uh, what we need to be doing. Uh, for some of us, we uh, have just hit a place where we need someone. Uh, it even sounds weird, but we, we need someone who would follow us. And I just remind each of those people tonight that Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 where he says, follow my example to others as I follow the example of Christ. And I pray for the people in this room and the people who hear us on audio that they would begin praying for someone who would say, I want to follow you because I see you are trying to follow Christ. And these five things would get each of my brothers and sisters started down that road and would reawaken and re-enliven and add color back into their faith walk that might not be there right now uh, because this is why you've put us here, is to make other followers. And so would you help us to do that? Uh, We confess to you we're weak and feeble and frail, Uh, We don't have much confidence in ourselves, and gladly we don't need to. Uh, You have great confidence in us, and your Holy Spirit in us will get it done. So help us to trust you and to obey you tonight and this week, and from this point on, may give us eyes to see and ears to hear someone who wants to follow someone like us. And pray for this, please, for all of us tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen.